Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Greetings and welcome to hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, and oi, Games Master, gimme what I want. And I am Ash Versus, and with or without floor decoration, I am always a unique sweater. <laughs> this episode aired on the 11th of October 1994. Wigfield is still top of the pops, but for one more week. But we do have a new box office number one, and there's a bomb on that bus. It's speed. Cool. The game began. Very exciting, Jack. <laughs> Some close calls, huh? When someone put the city of Los Angeles to the ultimate test. A quiz, hotshot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? Holy hell. What a film this was for Keanu Reeves. What a film it was for Dennis Hopper. What a film it was for Sandra Bullock. For Joe Morton and Jeff Daniels, this film is wall-to-wall awesome. Yeah, this is one of my favourite action movies of the decade. I, Me and my wife watch this film legit once a year, sometimes even twice a year. Like it, This and Con Air are our go-to movies. If it's a Saturday night and we find ourselves scrolling through Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon for ages being like, don't know what I'm in the mood for, don't know what I'm in the mood for, guarantee you one of us will just go, do you want to watch Speed? And we'll go, yeah, I do, actually. So it's Speed, Conair, or Face Off. Those are our three go-tos. <clears throat> me sideways. This film absolutely rocks a dick. It's so much <gasps> fucking fun. This is a Jan de Bont joint, and this script is 
completely unoriginal. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This took inspiration from a lot of different places. Uh, This took inspiration from a concept by Kurosawa. This took inspiration from a 1985 film called The Runaway Train. The ending was stolen from Silver Streak. And arguably one of the best decisions they ever made with this film during the writing and pitching process was calling it Speed because the original title was Minimum Speed. Yeah, like, and it's, I was reading an interview with the writer Graeme Yost, and who has a very good point on that, which is like, it doesn't exactly scream excitement when your film title starts with Minimum. They couldn't call it Maximum Speed because that wouldn't make any sense with the plot. Also, might make people associate it with Maximum Overdrive, which, you know... Stephen King in the mouthwash era didn't do great business with that movie. Although at that point, the best way to get a best of ACDC record. And also features one of my favourite performances of a movie in the 80s of... Curtis, are you dead? <laughs> Despite the fact that it is a hodgepodge of begged, borrowed, and let's be honest, partially stolen ideas, it just rockets along. And I am now regretting not watching it more often. I'm thinking, man, I should watch this more often. I should watch this more often. I should watch Speed 2 more. No, no, I shouldn't. Mm, but watch. Yeah, let, you don't need to go cruise control on this one. I mean, like the, the casting of Keanu Reeves was like one of the shining points of this movie because as with every Hollywood production he's probably not the first choice uh you know they went to your Tom Cruises your Tom Hanks um just because that's what every Hollywood studio did at that point call the two Toms first and see if they want to do the movie but like Keanu Reeves is the one that really makes that film sing and his chemistry with Sandy Bullock who also wasn't first choice really is like the heart and soul of that movie they were still young and hungry. They had sh- to prove at that point. If they'd gone with one of the established Toms or, I don't know, whoever they had in mind for Sandra Bullock's role, I, I don't know if it would have been as good because there's a chance the people they chose might have just phoned it in. Do you know who the first choices were for the character of Annie? No. So Annie was originally supposed to be a African-American um, paramedic which is why the character of Annie can easily drive the bus. Like that was like, that was the Yost's way of like scripting in. And this is why this character can drive a bus without having driven a bus before. And in the end, he decided that's not really that important. So Halle Berry was the person they first approached to play that role. And she turned it down. And his second choice, and it's an interesting choice because he doesn't seem that proud of this choice at this point. Like in an interview I read with him for the 20th anniversary, was Ellen DeGeneres. That would have been an interesting choice. I actually think that could have worked, particularly 90s Ellen. Uh, It would have been a different take on the character. See, part of my brain, and maybe this is because I was up until, oh God, o'clock this morning editing our X-Files episode, was I was just thinking... What was Sybil Shepherd doing in the early 90s? Yeah, it's, the Ellen thing is, it's weird because this interview he did with uh, Entertainment Weekly for the 20th anniversary, he says, look, it was 20 years ago. She'd done bits in movies and sitcoms and she was funny. And I wanted someone who was funny. I don't think it's as ludicrous as people make it out to sound now because I think she's incredibly talented. I think she probably could have been a pretty good actress. But anyway, I'm not going to go down a long road of defending Ellen DeGeneres as the heroine in Speed. 
He sounds very defensive of his initial casting decision that he'd made in the mid-90s, which, frankly, is not the wildest casting decision I've ever heard. I mean, far from it. I mean, when you look at some of the other people cast, I mean, at the time this was made, casting Dennis Hopper in anything was a gamble because you didn't know if you were going to get agreeable Dennis Hopper or bug crazy Dennis Hopper on the set from a daily basis. Like one time he could be sweet as pie and the next time he could be more like his outlaw sheriff character in Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre 2, which is still one of my favourite Dennis Hopper performances as Lefty. It's the story from the set of Super Mario Brothers when he was so sick of having the script that he had learned rewritten for him you know an hour before they went to go and shoot it like both him and Hoskins were doing interviews being like I don't even read the script that I get given in the morning because by the time I come to shoot this scene it will have changed and he yelled at the screenwriter who had been brought in to do these rewrites Parker Bennett to go find a dictionary and read to him the definition of the word act in front of everyone because he was getting so mad that he kept to memorize new lines of dialogue on a movie like this if he was going to act like a jackass, it would have just been because he's Dennis Hopper. He's going to do what he wants. And I think the casting of Hopper, you know, it, if anything, it really improves the movie because I didn't actually know this until I was doing a bit of research into the film. It was originally going to be revealed that Harry uh, was an accomplice to this and that, that and like Harry and Dennis Hopper's character were working together to plant these buses. And when they cast Dennis Hopper, they were like, actually, we don't need to have an accomplice. We don't need to have a man on the inside. So that kills off Harry as a character, which adds so much more gravitas to the movie and so much more de like peril and emotion and everything. Harry's death in that film is really impactful and it makes the final act feel so much bigger and better because of that. And I think if it just revealed, oh, well, actually, by the way, he was also a badden, I don't think it would have had the same impact. But this film opened in June in the United States, debuted at the number one position grossed over $14 million on its opening weekend. It set records in Brazil. It set records in South Africa and spent eight consecutive weeks at number one in Australia, 11 in Japan, grossed over $120 million in the US and Canada, $230 million internationally for a worldwide total of $350.5 million, well above its $30 million production budget, how in the blue hell did we only get it at number one for a week? I, I, I mean, I'll tell you why. It's because Forrest Gump is number one next week. And Forrest Gump was always going to trump whatever had come before it. I suspect this film, while it didn't stay at number one, it stayed in the top ten for a while. Like, it, it loitered. I, I love that 20th Century Fox moved up the release date of this because they did a test screening of it. And one of the executives was like, you know, they watch audience reactions and stuff. And they noticed a guy get up out of his seat because he needed to go to the bathroom. And he left the screen backwards because he didn't want to take his eyes off the guy. He's like, I know I've got to leave, but I don't want to turn my back to this movie because I have to see what happens next. And that was when Fox were like, I think we might have a hit on our hands here. Let's move this up into like an early summer release rather than a later summer release. Oh, they should never base that decision if they ever see me leave a screening to go to the loo because I always <laughs> yeah. like watch the screen as I leave and will find a way to leave the screen while keeping eye contact with the image you know so I'd be a terrible person to base that decision on but yeah it was an absolute massive hit it did give birth to a sequel moving on it's yeah. also become well known well parodied but most recently 
Sonic the Hedgehog featured this movie. It did, As yeah. one of Sonic's favourite action movies. Yeah, you've got to go fast. And in that movie, you know, they've got to go fast. They can't go below 50. So it, it, it was a, it's a fun little, like, nod to, to Keanu Reeves and, and, and you know, nod to, to speed because he likes the concept of speed as opposed to the drug speed. Although I don't know, maybe he does. I, I don't know the man personally. Sonic, that is. The most infamous scene from the movie is... I'm, I'm just going to move on from that. The, the most infamous scene from the movie, of course, is the, the, the bus jumping over the, the gap in the freeway, which was added in by Debunce. Um That wasn't in the original script. Um, Yosta said like there were about 10 or so shots that Debunce added in, and that was the one that he was like, oh man, wouldn't it be really cool if we did this? It took three attempts, because the first time the stunt driver missed the ramp. The second one, Debunce says in the commentary, it failed, but doesn't go into details why. The third attempt, which is the one where it worked, they were told the bus will jump over it and it will make about 20 feet and then it will land. And they're like, okay, awesome. So they placed a camera about 20 feet away so that they could capture the bus like landing and get a really cool shot of it. The bus absolutely cleared what it was supposed to do and just crushed the camera. The only reason they got that shot is because they had another camera set up 90 feet away to capture it. Oh, see, now, with the way digital filming works, they'd go, we're going to put a camera at 20 feet and we will use the footage of the bus creaming this camera. <laughs> As we mentioned last week, Doom 2 is at the top of the, at least the PC charts. Urban Strike is actually the top of the console chart. Which I don't think we get to talk about much because I don't know if it gets reviewed in a future episode or we get it as a challenge. I'm pretty sure we don't get it as a challenge. Um, but what did the magazine have to say about it? Uh, the magazine, which actually reviewed it in the very issue we're working our way through right now, they liked it. They didn't think it was the best of the Strike games. Uh, Tim Tucker says, I love the Strike games. This one's not the best, though, which is a trifle disappointing. But it is a very fine game with more futuristic helicopter at your disposal and the chance to stretch your legs a bit and run around a casino. On the downside, it's easier than Jungle Strike, with only the San Francisco level providing any real challenge. Still, I can't get enough of your love. Uh, I mean, I can't get enough of these Strike games, and this is a welcome addition to the series. Marcus, who's doing the main review, says, Is the world big enough for three strikes? Quite possibly, and if you've never played the first two, get this now, you silly apeth you. 92%. Really good score. Massive it is. On October 11th, one of the most important albums of my teenage years was released. In fact, actually, two uh, very important uh, albums to my teenage years. Korn's debut album, the self-titled album Korn, is released. And oh man, did I ever listen to this album a lot when I was a teenager. And also released on the same day was the soundtrack to Kevin Smith's Clerks. Oh my god, that is such a good soundtrack. It's real good, right? When I'm trying to wake up of a morning, like if I've had a really groggy start to the day and I need to power walk to the station or just like kind of get going for my morning walk if I'm working from home, the Clerks soundtrack will often be used via my iPhone and Bluetooth. Soul Asylum, Can't Even Tell, Love Amongst Freaks and the opening song. The whole thing, Chewbacca, What a Wookiee, and of course... Berserker. <laughs> My love for you is like a truck, Berserker. Would you like some making fun? <laughs> Berserker. That's beautiful, man. Metal. Metal, indeed. Uh, <laughs> you're right there, mate. Just the entire Berserker scene is playing in my head. And just when he goes to that line and the woman's like, did he just say making fuck? 
it's the um it's scott motion's line of like that's beautiful man um yeah in a couple of years time i'm on a school trip to guernsey and i only have one cassette on me for that entire week that i was there because the other cassettes that i had all broke on transport so that cassette that i i know i don't know what i did to them either i think it's like this they weren't working my tape player whatever it was so i had one tape that worked and it was my recording that i'd done off my brother's cd of corn's first album so that side would finish i would just rewind that again and i would listen to it again and i listened to it probably i don't know five six times a day for the entire week that i was there i know that album like the back of my fucking hand at this point the following day, October 12th, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant do MTV Unplug, which they called Unleaded. Um, well, it was called Un- No Quarter, and the album was also released for it. A great album, and one of many times when people saw them working together or heard they were performing together and just went, Led Zeppelin's coming back, and they <laughs> didn't, and it only did once. And it was a great show when they did come back, but I did love that any time you picture them together, it's like, Led Zeppelin are coming back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last couple of things of note, October 14th, Channel 4 debuts Paris, a sitcom behind the writing team of Father Ted starring Alexi Sale, Neil Morrissey and James Dreyfus. It only lasts one series, according to the Wikipedia. It featured the escapade of French artist Aline de Gaulle living in 1920s Paris who wants to be famous, but his work gets him nowhere. I wish to go to Paris and be an artist. A portrait of the illustrious painter Alain de Gaulle coming soon. Channel 4. I remember the concept of this, but I don't know if I ever saw it or if it just, I happened to catch a bit of it at some point, but there's bits of it that seem familiar. That could also be that at least part of it sounds like the old Tony Hancock film, The Rebel, where he also plays an artist. Maybe that's where I'm seeing it because, yeah, my comedy at this time, it was Channel 4 comedy, it was BBC2 comedy, it was also The Goons and Tony Hancock. So a lot of the crossover in my brain is very confusing. And lastly, a game that we are going to talk about a hell of a lot in this episode, October 17th, Sonic and Knuckles is released on the Mega Drive. We're going to talk quite a bit about SNK throughout this episode. So I think we'll probably leave it at that. And speaking of the magazine because I know there's a big thing about Sonic and Knuckles in the magazine as well. We're going to cover that when we get to that as well in our our episode timeline. Indeed. I mean, they've changed the format of the show. It's a more magazine format show. So, hey, we're mixing things up a bit as well, some of which you may have already noticed. Very nice. Welcome to Hell, the central base of Games Master's Little Fun Club. Upon joining, you too can get a shiny badge with bright colours, a hairy badge with moving eyes, and more fun than you ever had with Freddy Krueger. Important note that I got while making notes for this session, they are goblins. We have an official term. They are the goblins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm very happy because we've gone with minions, we've gone with dwarves and other things. But no, if they are goblins, we will now call them goblins. It's good to have that clarified by the show. I literally breathed a sigh of relief when they (laughs) used that term because I'm like, oh, good. Now we know what's accurate. But what I loved about this intro was Dominic Diamond essentially just listed off our Patreon merch pack as, you know, what you can get if you join the Games Master Fun Club. Yeah, I mean, all we need to do is strike a deal with Freddy Krueger to visit our Patreons, and it's a done thing. Yeah. I, I mean, do you reckon we could get those furry little, like, sticker badge things that you could with the little googly eyes on them? I did actually look at it. The issue is... <laughs> did you? The issue is minimum quantity. Do we want to order 250 of them? (laughs) Yeah, probably not. 
but it's a Sonic special. So let's find out what our first challenge is. What are we playing, Games Master? My first challenge is on Sonic 3. I utilize the special features available on the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge, allowing players to compete as Knuckles. Our contestant's aim will be to finish the first level as fast as possible. Though the landscape is well known, our players, used to Sonic's spin attack, will now have to familiarize themselves with Knuckles' lesser known maneuver of drifting. Something I've never had a problem with. I'll tell you what's nice about this challenge, Ash. What's that? Well, this now effectively completes, and with the challenge that we get later, basically completes the Sonic the Hedgehog oeuvre up until this point in Games Master challenges. We've had Sonic 1 twice, in fact, in Series 1 and 2. We had Sonic 2 at a tournament of it in, F in Series 2. We had Sonic CD in Series 3. But we didn't have a Sonic 3 challenge because the game was out after they'd finished filming. So now we've got Sonic 3 here and we get Sonic and Knuckles at the end. All five of the Mega Drive and Mega CD games have been represented in challenges. Apart from Sonic Spinball. I'm not quite counting that. Is it because it breaks your point? Y y yes, that is exactly why I'm not counting that. <laughs> I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> I mean, someone was bound to, and I'm glad that it was you. Um, apart from Sonic Spinball, uh, we have had all of the Sonic games featured in challenges. Which we, I mean, it was never going to work in the Series 3 Team Championships format, a Sonic Spinball challenge. The, the levels are too fucking long. We talked a lot about Sonic 3 when it was released, but this is the plug-in version of it. This is the lock-in technology of Sonic and Knuckles with Sonic 3 being plugged into the top so you can play as Knuckles in the Sonic 3 data, which is a it was a very simple process, which was just there was a little chip in there that when you locked in Sonic 3, it looked for a certain serial number on the Sonic 3 ROM chip, and then it would load in Knuckles assets and the extra levels and stuff so you can get the complete Sonic 3 and Knuckles. And if you thought you'd be sneaky and you thought, I know, I'm going to try and like cross Sonic and Knuckles with Road Rash or Skitchin. Skitchin! Oh man, Knuckles in Skitchin? I'd have played that. Mate, you'd have played it with Tails in Skitchin. <laughs> but what you get, you don't get the crossover you've been dreaming of. You get a screen which shows Sonic, Tails, Knuckles and Robotnik going, no way! Yeah, what it essentially just gives you is an unlimited blue sphere game, um, which is just sort of like generated depending on what ROM you put in or what serial number it recognizes. Oh, procedurally generated. Procedurally generated. Thank you very much. That's the word I was after. Ta. They were going to do Sonic 1 because you can plug Sonic 2 in and you get Knuckles in Sonic 2 and it essentially just reads all the assets off the Sonic 2 ROM and then puts Knuckles into those. But it also has slightly different levels. Like the levels have been altered to allow Knuckles to like climb up something and grab an extra life in Chemical Plant Zone, for example. But the majority of the levels in Sonic 2 were built for a flying character anyway, because it was built for Super Sonic. They were going to do Sonic 1, but they essentially ran out of time and money, which is why they did the Blue Sphere thing to happen with, all, with any game that you plug in. The development time of Sonic and Knuckles, which we chronicled when we did Sonic 3, was really, really tough and really stretched to like really make this game the, the game that they wanted it to be. So I can kind of buy it, but you know, Sonic 2 was designed for a flying character because it was designed for Super Sonic or a gliding character. Sonic 1 wasn't. I don't know what Knuckles would be like in Sonic 1. 
you like you wouldn't have got much more out of it basically yeah either it would have just been a reskin or a palette swap or it would have broken the game indulging in the first of our hedgehog head-to-heads we have tom stewart and daniel wareham now tom uh, as many people know i have a bit of a thing for wool and the cornucopia of variations you can get with this fine substance now you've been kind enough to bring a little pattern book i have yeah with you would you like to select what's your favorite pattern in there i'm quite keen on this one don't I? let's hold this one up here okay what does this one say it says, add a little floral decoration for a unique sweater. Excellent, and as you can see, it's actually Carol Vorderman. Uh, Daniel, what about you then? What's your favourite um, pattern in this fine tome? Um, I'd say this one, Dominic. A colourful sweater that's Let's in a hold, class hold of its own. Oh yes, lovely. College days, I think they call that one. Marvellous. And playing this challenge is Tom and Daniel, and we get a wonderfully, like, bizarre setup skit of looking at different cardigans and jumpers. Yeah, I mean, Dom cuts right to the chase and says to Tom that, you know, we all know Dom has a thing for wool and Tom brought this pattern book along, which definitely looks like it fell out of a Sunday magazine or similar or out of a Littlewoods catalogue. I guess we're lucky it wasn't the underwear section. But Dom wants to know what Tom's favourite pattern is. And he points out one that has the caption, add a little floor decoration for a unique sweater. May or may not be Carol Vorderman in the picture. Difficult to tell third generation vhs yeah i mean they say it's carol vorderman if we do an ai upscale it will turn into rachel riley <laughs> very nice i did enjoy this i i did get a bit of a kick out of it it was very silly it's you know nothing to do with video games or anything like that but it's dom having a laugh and you know we said this about the kids in the first episode they get it they get the assignments this is vic reeves and the dials yeah, yeah, that's it. It's exactly it. Yeah, what a lovely array of dials you have. Which is your favourite? What about this <laughs> knitting pattern? It's great, and I'm glad the kids are into it. There's a couple of moments over the next couple of episodes where the kids don't quite catch on. At least one where, like, one of them thinks Dom has just ruined their life, which is kind of funny in a different way. But no, the kids are on board with this, and now all three of them are going to get yarned up. Keep carving out new horizons for ourselves yes it's him that bloke who was in that film and hasn't worked since 1980 something star wars that was it yes the 75 year old mark hamill is starring in wing commander 3 the latest cd-rom game to have loads of movie bits iffy acting and cringing dialogue yeah well people were dying out there you son of a bitch well i'm sure the game will be brilliant now, the first entry in our news items today is on Wing Commander 3 Heart of the Tiger, which is basically Dominic Diamond dunking on Mark Hamill. Yes, it's that bloke who was in that film and he hasn't worked since the 80s. 75-year-old Mark Hamill. It's Dominic at the end being like, I'm sure the game will be brilliant. I liked it. I like it. I like Wing Commander 3 and 4. The FMV is so-so, but... You can't deny the cast because this was the first Wing Commander that went, okay, let's big it up. Let's not just do some full motion video because that'd be all the rage now. Let's make sure we cast some people in it that you will know who they are. So, Mark Hamill as Colonel Christopher Maverick Blair, Malcolm McDowell as Admiral Tolwyn, John Reese Frickin' Davis <laughs> as James Paladin Taggart, and Thrakath Narkiranka. Welsh, I'm assuming, and Tom Wilson as Todd Maniac Marshall. That's Tom Wilson, or as you referred to him, Biff Tannen. Yeah, Biff from Back to the Future. It was developed and released by Origin Systems. It was released in 94 for MS-DOS and Mac, in 95 for the 3DO, and 1996 for the PlayStation. But Ash, 
guess what? A Sega Saturn version was also announced. Ash, guess what? It was advertised, but never released. I saved you the job there. Because yeah. <laughs> like actors in Wing Commander games is something that Chris Roberts had wanted to do from day one. Like I, when I interviewed him for the book, he said to me that like... The book? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wrote a book once. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for, for bringing it up. But, uh, you know, you look back at the original drawings of things. He designed the character to look like Mel Gibson because he based it on Mel Gibson. And he'd always wanted to have like sort of actors and voice actors and things like that within his things. But Origin was always just like, yeah, nice idea, Chris, but that'll never happen. We have not got the money for that. We're a very small studio. But then Origin was bought by EA and with EA comes money. And so now he's got money behind it. Now we can actually get actors in to do these sorts of roles. I'd love to have been in the kind of like the original development meetings where he goes, okay, you know, I originally designed it to look like Mel Gibson, who can we get that looks like Mel Gibson? And they're like, well, we could probably get Mark Hamill. Yeah. Does Mark Hamill look like Mel Gibson? No. No. Yeah, I, I suppose I should stress that with EA comes money. It's not Mel Gibson money. It's Mark Hamill money. Nowadays, with loot crates and FIFA, you, they, and to be honest, where Mel Gibson's career ended up, they probably could get Mel Gibson it's whether they'd want to. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very interesting talking to to Chris uh, Roberts about this, and you know how this sort of led onto the the Wing Commander movie and stuff, which we will get in our timeline. I really like Wing Commander three, though. I've got quite a bit of love for it. I think I played it on the PlayStation. I think that was my sort of introduction to it, and I think I borrowed it off a friend. I think I played it on the PlayStation as well, and I played Wing Commander four on the first PC that I built for myself. And it was the DVD version because I had the Creative Labs DVD blaster. So a DVD drive and a card so it could decode the video. And it was a special version on DVD. So the video quality was higher and all that jazz. It was great. I had a great time with it. And it was a flight type game that I got on with. And as we've discussed, those are pretty fucking rare. <laughs> yeah. But you mentioned the EA money and yeah, it wasn't a bottomless pit. It did cost around five million dollars to develop and produce and with inflation that is seven to nine million dollars today depending on how you account for it all so not an insignificant amount of money and as mentioned there were multiple versions it was also one of the first games that really required a pentium processor it needed that extra oomph and luke guess what what's that ash there was going to be a jaguar cd port of this did it come out fuck no <laughs> But there was a novelization of it. Specifically of the Jaguar port. I mean, who knows? We'll never see it. But no, it was novelized. Uh, a novelization was made of this that was published in 1995. And a CCG, a collectible card game. Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. But Luke, talking of that bloke from that there Star Wars film. And talking of that bloke, this is the latest Star Wars game, Dark Forces. Using a similar engine to Doom, people who get their rocks off to this stuff claim it's even better than Doom 2 released yesterday. In February, you can find out for yourself. Oh, now you're talking, mate. Star Wars Dark Forces, a game that is hilariously, like, always been called a Doom clone which is unfair, it's built on its own engine. It's not using a Doom engine. This is literally using the Jedi engine that was built for this game. But because it was a first-person shooter, it was like, well, that's a Doom clone. And despite the fact that fans doth protest too much when it's being called a Doom clone, this game was born out of the fact that people were building Doom hacks that were putting people on the Death Star. 
and that kind of gave them the inspiration of like, huh, what if we did have a first-person shooter set within the Star Wars universe? And amazingly, this game wasn't just a cash-in, wasn't just a way to commercialise the Doom mods and actually make some bank off it. It did contribute not only to then Star Wars Expanded Universe lore, but some of the stuff in this has even made its way into the Disney revised Expanded Universe, the Dark Troopers, mm -hmm. stuff like that. This game had you playing Kyle Katarn, and he would go on to star in many more games as the Jedi Knight series took off. And they're games that are still available today. They've been re-released as recently as last year. Yeah, Dave Filoni on The Mandalorian with Jon Favreau has been very... Because Disney like just shut down the extended universe, Like they just as soon as they bought Lucasfilm, they just shut it all down. It was like, the only thing that is canon now are the prequels, the main trilogy, and some Clone Wars stuff. Not even all the Clone Wars stuff. And that really, really pissed fans off who had like invested time and, you know, particularly, you know, fans like you and I, who were Star Wars fans in the 90s when there were no new films. Like we were basically had Return of the Jedi and then whatever they gave us here, whether that books, comic books, the video games and things like that. So I think that a lot of these fans felt really like, you know, they felt hurt by Disney doing that. So Dave Filoni has been very good at finding things from that expanded universe and slotting it into the Mandalorian, therefore making it canon again. And I think in defense of Disney, and man, there's a sentence you don't find yourself saying often, <laughs> uh, especially when it comes to Star Wars. They did shut down the expanded universe. It's not like they came around and burnt everyone's books or smashed their copies of Shadows of the Empire. But they didn't say that, you know, the door would be shut on stuff from the expanded universe forever. And actually what you're getting is a Star Wars universe that is more accessible right now. I would argue that more people now are diving into the new expanded universe than were before, because much like Star Trek and much like Doctor Who, when a series or property leaves its primary medium, so no films or no TV or no whatever, the books can run away with themselves. They will only appeal to the hardcore fans, and I'm including myself for all three of those kind of properties that I just mentioned. But if you obtain the property or you reboot or refresh the property, as has happened with Trek, as has happened with Wars, as has happened with Doctor Who back in 2005, streamline it, make it more accessible and bring stuff in Bring the best stuff in, as mm -hmm. and when you can. Bring Thrawn into Star Wars. Bring Trek stuff into Trek. Bring Doctor Who stuff into Doctor Who. And let a new audience experience it. They're not going to destroy your originals. It's fine. Yeah, it just tidies things up a little bit as well. Because, like, the expanded universe was a bit messy. Because, as you say, like, writers just got run away with things. And they did. And, yeah, it was just, it wasn't the tidiest timeline. And what Disney did essentially was just like, well, let's just streamline this then and make it, as you say, a bit more accessible, a bit more for first timers. And that's a good thing. There's no like the worst thing you can be within a fandom is a gatekeeper. And I think that some Star Wars fans can often be gatekeepers of this because they were like, you weren't there in the 90s when we didn't have anything. And so if you weren't there in the 90s, you can't be here now. I'll be honest, you can take away Star Wars and just have fans. Into London Arcades last week marks the latest Sega experience, Desert Tank. It's the latest game to use Sega's spanky Model 2 graphics as seen in Daytona Racing. If it looks very butch, that's because some military bloke helped make it. Our last news item here is a bit of an interesting one. I mean, this is very much like Sega of its time, which is just like creating these arcade experiences for the Sega world and this, that and the other. And it's 
to kind of give you what it would like to drive a real tank if you know a real tank was built on the daytona engine rolling start <laughs> but no this game actually looks pretty good and i'm quite sad it never got a proper home port but sega did that did their due diligence they developed this game with martin marietta a military contractor so they went hey you work with governments on tanks come and come and work with us oh is it an actual tank not really it's an arcade game and yeah this is a game where I don't actually have much information on it other than saying it was developed by Sega AM2, produced by Yu Suzuki, and yeah, developed with the cooperation of a military contractor and has never been bought to the home consoles. That's it. Looks fun, though. Yeah, it does look fun. Yeah. I probably would have played this if I was at a Sega world. I probably would have had a bang on it. Yeah, I'd have probably wasted a quid on it and then gone, well, I sucked at that, but I still would have tried it. Right, we're just about to play Sonic 3 with Knuckles. Helping me describe the action is the man who made bandanas fashionable for one week, Dave Perry. Dave, um, give our challengers some tips here. Well, because we're playing it to the Sonic and Knuckles carts, what our challengers are going to find they can do with the Knuckles character is they can glide and they can scale walls. They don't have to worry about jumping over them. He's a little bit slower than Sonic, but he's got a lot more tricks up his sleeves. Okay, thank you very much, Dave. Back to our first challenge of Sonic 3 and Knuckles. And, oh boy, is Dave Perry making a fashion statement this week with his pink bandana and waistcoats. Indeed, and Dom says he is the man that made bandanas fashionable for one week. But not only is he a fashion guru, he has some tips for our challengers, pointing out that Knuckles, he's slower than Sonic, but he's got a lot more tricks up his sleeve. All the while, Dominic Diamond is pulling faces behind Dave Perry. I wouldn't even say it's behind Dave Perry. I would say <laughs> I reckon on the peripheral, Dave knows what's going on. Yeah, I mean, we had this chat with Dom when we interviewed him before we got here, but Dave Perry is the only person here who is still season one to three Games Master. Everyone else is series four. Dave Perry is like original point of this show, Dave Perry. He does have a bit of fun in the next episode. There was at least one line he has that made me genuinely laugh. But yeah, he's he's taking a while to loosen up. And as we know by what history dictates, he never fully loosened up. So Tom is up first on this challenge. Um, and he hits a spring at the 17 second mark here in this challenge that costs him dearly. Um, and then he gets caught on a swing that sends him back. Like, it, it's not the most smooth run of this that I've ever seen in my life. And I've, I've seen a fair number of, of Sonic speedruns and stuff. This is quite sloppy at points. Like, he's trying to play this as if he was Sonic. Mm. He clearly knows the level and knows what he's meant to be doing, but he doesn't know the physics of Knuckles, and that is where he struggles. And I'd say also where the second competitor struggles as well. They seem to know what they're meant to be doing. They just, they're walking in another man's, well, another animal's shoes. Why are the animals wearing shoes? We don't know, but that's what they're doing. Also, I just realized Knuckles doesn't have sleeves. But the point I'm kind of failing to navigate around is that they know where they are, they know what they're meant to be doing, but they just don't know Knuckles yet. And nor would they, because he's a new kid on the block. And at this point they're recording, this game ain't out. Like, they, they haven't spent months playing this game. This is probably on a beta board, and it does make it an interesting question as to how the double cartridge thing works in this particular case. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just gave them the full, like, Sonic 3 and Knuckles ROM. Maybe. Oh, that'd be fascinating to find out. Who knows? Maybe the book, when the book arrives. 
Yeah, maybe. It's also worth noting as well with this challenge is because you have to get to the end of it. And if you've played the game, there's this sort of like fire machine comes down and it then sets Angel Island on fire. And that's the end of the challenge. And Tom gets to that point at 42 seconds. And then essentially, you just have to watch an animation and that ends 10 seconds later. So his challenge ends at 51 seconds, but he spent the last nine seconds there standing still waiting for the challenge to end. I think they could have like realistically gone, okay, the challenge is over when the screen stops scrolling. Yeah. That could have been the end point. But I suppose realistically, the fire coming up the screen is a definable moment. Yeah. I mean, they do it in speedrunning challenges like to this day. It's just like the, the speed run, the run ends when this happens. Thankfully, I say thankfully, we don't get to see it twice because oh boy, does Daniel biff this something fierce. I mean, let's just stop with this challenge because, you know, Dave says that Daniel needs to avoid those springs. So he's been warned. And Dom reminds him that he has 51 seconds to beat. Daniel grabs some rings. He loses those rings. And he loses the commentators because Dave and Dom are now discussing Knuckles' use of hair product. Yeah, this is more of that Dominic Diamond. I can't commentate on the same game twice. So I'm just going to take the piss out of it for the second run. Well, after Daniel makes the same spring mistake and then fails to get up the incline, Dom's had enough. He says, I can't watch this. I'm d- yeah. I'm done. I'm gone. Oh dear. I'm off. I'm gone. 48. And now he can't, get, he can't get up the tube now either. So Daniel stopped the game. Daniel's challenge is over. Tom is the winner. And at that point, Daniel does utterly fuck it. He oh, yeah. fails to get up the inside of the tree. 51 seconds is hit and they just stop the challenge. There's no point. Yeah, his challenge felt like it was over when he hit the rhino bots, and it just went. This isn't quite the poor lad playing Sonic CD in the the finals of uh, the team championships, but it is. Uh, it's yeah, it's not. It's not enjoyable to watch the poor lad. Now, uh, Tom, that wasn't the closest uh, of challenges we've had. Did uh, were you ever worried at any point? I was worried up until the tree when he went wrong. He played very well. I think I think you've been farting nice to Daniel because I thought he was pants <laughs> actually. Um, Daniel, we uh, stopped your challenge after 51 seconds because we realised that unless you could travel back in time, there was no chance that uh, you could win. Give me your excuse, and it better be good. Um, don't really have an excuse. I just have to lay my head low for a while and just get back to that joypad. But Tom does win, and he wins by the two sweetest words in the English language. Default, default, default. Dominic in the post-match, when he's talking to Tom, you know, Tom's like, you know, I think he did fairly well. You know, I was a bit worried when I fell down a tree. And Dominic just like cuts him off to be like, you're being far too nice about this, lad, because he did pants. Yeah, we get some pants, boy. Love that we're now getting that in this show. Like I know Dominic said he doesn't mention it enough in the book, but we're going to hear a lot about it throughout the rest of this podcast run. And I do love his justification for them stopping the challenge, which is they realised that unless he could travel back in time, there was no chance he could win. But if he'd been playing Sonic CD, then he could have won. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't. Uh, did I enjoy that as a challenge? It was cool to see Knuckles in Sonic 3. That much I will say. It's not the best games playing I've ever seen of it, though particularly from the poor lad who went second. But you know, I still got I still got a bit of a kick out of it. And Dominic, you know, it was a, it was a great showcase for Dominic to be like the this new series for Dominic to be like, mate, what the hell were you doing there? Like that the kid we had last week playing um Top Hunter where it's like, does your mum know that you're out? Like it's that new cutting edge Dominic Diamonds. Yeah, and I know he voiced concerns that maybe he was a bit too nasty to the kids, but 
I mean, the dude's in hell. He is playing kind of a Satan or one of his minions. So it's kind of, it comes with the role a bit. Yeah. And these two do feel like from the acting school, only because they did like the skit at the start of this with the knitting patterns and stuff. Yeah, they were on board with it. First up, surprise, surprise, another blank check for Mr. Sega. But is Sonic Triple Trouble on the Game Gear worth your pennies? It's the usual Sonic fare. Run around platforms, pick up rings, jump on springs and speed around with your red sneakers. It's great stuff. Generally, I've never really liked Sonic games, you know, just too much tedious running to the left and right, picking up rings. But I found myself playing the Game Gear game for quite a while, actually, at least until the batteries run out. And you've got some great power-ups. You've got little jets, jet boots and stuff. You can, you've even got a snowboard. Cool, eh, Sonic? It's uh, easily the best platform game on the Game Gear, certainly. It's got incredible graphics. It's um, one of the same old Sonic story. This one looks pretty close to the Mega Drive original, and uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Our usual motley crew in the review zone of Tim Tucker from Games Master Magazine, Frank O'Connor from Ultimate Future Magazine, and Adrian Price from Games World Magazine are here to review our first game on the chopping block, Sonic Triple Trouble. I played this game fairly recently, actually. When I watched this episode, I booted up my emulator and had a little blast on it because I've said on this podcast previously, I've struggled with Master System and Game Gear Sonic games because... They've got weird scrolling about them. They always feel a bit like, I don't know, stiff to control at times, particularly when I was playing Sonic 2 on the Master System. But this was really good. I sunk quite a few hours into playing this game and I could have sunk a few more and probably finished it as well because it's not a massively long game. But I probably would have finished it and then boosted it up again because I then realized how you do, how you get the Chaos Emeralds and stuff, which is very weird. Like you bust open a box that's got a picture of an emerald wait for a second and then it creates like a portal for you to jump into and then you've got like two different like um special stages that you do with knack the weasel but i really really had a blast playing it and i can see why this is held up as like it's as good as its 16-bit counterparts that sonic fandom has for it it does look fun and i would say that at the point this game was released the thing that would hold it back the most is the fact it was on a game gear like they didn't even port it to the Master System. They just literally released this for Game Gear only. I mean, playing it now via emulation, via the Chinesium handheld, via whatever you want, um, Raspberry Pi, Droid boxes, whatever, that seems like the best way to play it because it does look a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really solid. Yeah, really, really good. And I know you've got like, you know, Chinesium handheld stuff. So I'd, I'd recommend it, man. If you've got like a spare hour or so, you could pick a worse Sonic game to play that you've not played before. Absolutely. I will definitely take, I'll definitely give it a go, especially if it's like kind of quite a short game and yeah, something I can play next time I have to get a train somewhere. But this was a sequel to Sonic Chaos um, that they just then renamed to Sonic Triple Trouble. It was called Chaos 2 at one point though. That was definitely like a lot of magazines were calling it Chaos 2 and Knack was called Jet in one of the articles. It was in Mean Machine Sega issue 20. And then that got changed to calling it Sonic Triple Trouble and then becoming Knack the Weasel. Knack the Weasel uh, would appear in Sonic the Comic, though not as part of a Triple Trouble adaptation. He was part of the Knuckles Chaotix uh, adaptation, which the Sonic the Comic, the podcast boys, are currently reading. So, And it was weird, like, they make the point there. It's very weird that he's there. And it's, he's basically there because they needed a turncoat in the Chaotix group. But because he's not part of the, the Chaotix game, 
just very odd that Knack the Weasel's there. But this wouldn't be the last that you'd see of Knack the Weasel, though. He would make further comebacks. Yeah, he's in Sonic Fighters, isn't he? He's in Sonic Fighters. He's also in Sonic Mania. That's right. Yeah, he is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, because that, that game's features beckon everyone at that point. But yeah, you're right. He is. And I did just have a note. It was originally planned for the Master System. It was, yes. And they just didn't release it in the end. They just kept it as a Game Gear exclusive. It got Jaguar. Yeah, it did get Jaguar. But like a lot of the reviews at the time were talking about how like, you know, this is as good as a 16-bit counterpart for the Sonic franchise, particularly if you are a Game Gear owner. The problem is, like, you know, we've seen for reviews of Sonic 2, 3 and CD uh, throughout this podcast run, it's they, they always say it's not trying anything new. Like Steve Merritt in the Mean Machine Sega reviews, like, calls the gameplay bland and says, if I was to recommend you a Sonic game for the Game Gear, I'd tell you to get Sonic Spinball. Now, I've not played Sonic Spinball on the Game Gear, but I would probably want to play Triple Trouble over it, I would imagine. The game did get a 16-bit remake by a chap called Noah Copeland, who uh, did a really good job of it, actually. Like, he essentially Sonic maniaed Triple Trouble because it is a game that is very much beloved by the, the Sonic fan base. And I've not played it, but it looks very nice. Yeah, it described it as a good classic Sonic game buried under 8-bit limitations. Which I think is a really good way to describe the game. 85% for Sonic Triple Trouble. From the maker of Cool Spot and Aladdin, is Earthworm Jim just another platform game or the platform game? Got guns, he's got like, a fierce display of firepower just in this one tiny little gun. He can swing across bridges, he can jump huge chasms. Basically, this guy can do just about anything. It's got a very nice linear feel. You always know where you're going and you always know where you've got to get to. There's also bags of humour, lots of inventiveness, totally different perspectives like the into the screen bit where you have to fly down tunnels picking things up. There's so many puzzles you have to solve and so many different sub-games that you'll be playing this for weeks. Well, is it just another platform game or is it the platform game? It's a game that you and I talked about quite a bit in episode one of this podcast run. Earthworm Jim has hit the Mega Drive. It has indeed. And yeah, regarding the actual game itself, I think we've said almost all we can say, but that doesn't mean we can't admire here that these reviewers are into this game. Yeah, they really, really are. I, particularly Adrian, who we saw last week be very gun thirsty for Doom because it's, it's got guns in it. And here, what does he want to talk about? The various different guns that you can get. Although I do question whether he's projecting a bit here because he's like, oh, it's got massive firepower, but only a tiny little gun. And I'm like, hey, easy now. You may be <laughs> revealing more than you mean to there, mate. But he can also swing across bridges. He can jump huge chasms. He can do anything. Yeah, they really, really are on board for this. A huge 94% here for Earthworm Jim. And I think very, very earned as well. Absolutely. It was a breath of fresh air. And I'm only sad that the jazz man didn't get to review this particular runny, yeah. jumpy, shooty game because he'd have either loved it or we'd have got to see it be absolutely torn apart. And that would have been kind of funny in its own way. I think the jazz man would have liked it because it's got variety. It's not always a runny, jumpy, shooty platformer. There's the Peter Puppy level. There's the navigating around the uh, the ocean when you're fighting against um, Bob the Killer Goldfish. Fuck that level. There's, you know, the going through space race, uh, racing against Psycho. There's an uh, the snot, the, the bungee jump with the snot. Like, there is enough variety in there that I think the jazz man would have got on board with this. It's good to know there can still be originality and creativity in platformers, and it's good that this review bears it out. 
I hope the third review continues that trend. <laughs> Finally, take a cute character, add some platforms and cook in sequel batter. But is Bubsy too a mouth-watering morsel or lean cuisine? Bubsy as a character has certainly become more rounded. He's got a great line in patois and he's Another got some very funny wisecracks and ideas. But as a game, it's really not coming together. Half the time, you've got no idea where you're going. You run from left to right, um, jumping over obstacles, leaping from platform to platform, often blindly, as you can't really tell where you're going. The game is, frankly, tedious, and it's certainly worse than its prequel. Compared to the likes of Earthworm Jim, Bubsy 2 just doesn't stand out. Earthworm Jim's got a lot going for originality, whereas Bubsy's going over the same old stuff again. Maybe I'll be saying this about Earthworm Jim 2 when it comes out. I mean, Tim says that the characters become more rounded, so there's a positive. That is the only positive as we look at Bubsy 2, the sequel to Claw's Encounters of the Third Kind, the second game in the Bubsy series where I find myself asking, did we need a second game? Do we want to refer to this as a series? Because we know we get more of them. I mean, this was becoming a series. It nearly became a TV series. This did have a pilot, an animated pilot that aired that was going to promote this game and have a series run. It didn't get picked up, so it was just aired as like a, a TV special called What Could Possibly Go Wrong, which aired on Thanksgiving. A really good voice cast for it, though. Rob Paulson as the voice of Bubsy. Jim Cummings as um, Sid the Shrew. Pat Freely as Arnold Armadillo. You know, that's... Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's Raph from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's Darkwing Duck. Tress McNeil. You know, uh, Daisy Duck is in there and Dot from um, Animaniacs. It had a very good cast. I watched it because it's all up on YouTube. It's fucking dog shit and really hard to watch because the, the voice acting is very good, but the character is irritating. Okie dokie, Arnold. Time to rise and shine, old pal of mine. Get in the truck. Let the ten for the butt down. The truck is back. Come on, snap to Mr. Basket Case. It's me, the Prince of Personality, Bubsy. Bubsy? Oh, oh, worse than a truck. Oh, come on. You know I'm your hero. You're not. Well, of course I am. I'm your hero, and you're my sidekick. No! Oh, please. Do we have to go through this every single morning? No, no you don't, don't want to be your sidekick. What's that? It's just the twins. They're going to celebrate their birthday with their Uncle Bubsy. Oh, no, not the twins. Hide me, hide me. All right. Hide under the couch. All right, all right, I'm coming. Did it have Frank Welker in it? <laughs> I don't think it actually did. They didn't, have, they didn't need animal noises, so it did not need to get Welkered. Hang on. It's called Bubsy the Bobcat, and they didn't need animal. That's where they went wrong. They're all talking animals. So there's no need for actual animal noises. Mm. I, I still think they, they should have got Welker in. Maybe Welker would have been the luck charm they needed. I love Adrian's comment at the end of this review, where it's just like, it doesn't stand up to Earthworm Jim. It's not pushing any new boundaries. But you know what? Maybe I'll be saying the exact same thing when Earthworm Jim 2 comes around. Now, we do get an Earthworm Jim 2, and I searched high and low to find out if Adrian Bryce reviewed it, and I could not find anything. Adrian, if you're listening, get in touch. Let us know what you <laughs> thought of Earthworm Jim 2. I do like that they actually did directly compare this to the game they just reviewed. It does mean that Bubsy was set up. Not that he needed to be set up. I mean, it's a, it's a shit game. 
And like, the first one wasn't great either. 70%, I think, is a fair score for Bubsy 2. I think it's over generous. It, it's better than the 3D one. Does this mean that Bubsy 2 scored more than Games Master Magazine gave Sonic the Hedgehog 2? That is correct. <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay. <laughs> But you know what? That's enough reviews and chat about games. What are we playing as our celebrity challenge, Games Master? Oh, I do like a bit of speed. Tonight we have just that. We burn rubber and torch towers with a new Super Nintendo game, Street Racer. In this rough and tumble rolling rumble, player one will take the role of the unsavory Hodger, while our second race ace will play as Biff. Players should aim for the blue marks on the track, Crossing these will give them nitro to which to boost their speed. The race is over four laps, and the golden joystick will reserve the player who comes first. They absolutely love getting Patrick Moore to say, Oh, I do like a bit of speed. I would almost believe they'd recycled footage if not for the fact that it, you know, because he's wearing he's wearing a prosthetic kind of makeup piece now as opposed to it being digitally added. But yeah, Patrick Moore does like a bit of speed. Sorry, the Games Master <laughs> likes a bit of speed. Patrick Moore himself, he's he's kind of more into meth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you would do it if you got to look at those stars and everything. Just chew on a little bit of it while you're looking through telescopes. Do you know what? We're not being serious, but wow, that actually <laughs> felt really disrespectful. I'm kind of proud and ashamed of us at the same time. Oh, I know. It's, it, it's Series 4. It's having an effect on us. Now we're going down to hell. It was joystick jokes through series one and two. <laughs> it was incredibly crammed episodes in series three. And now in series four, we are implying that a world-renowned astronomer did meth. But let's see what. Let's move on and we'll talk about Street Racer because I love this game. This game's awesome. I didn't have a Super Nintendo, as you well know. So this was my Mario Kart. It's not a bad game. It is very simply, what if Mario Kart but Street Fighter? Yes, that's exactly it. That's the one. And yeah, it was a multi-platform game. It did come out for the Super Nintendo. And yes, the Mega Drive got their own Mario Kart clone. But they didn't stop there because it came out for the Sega Saturn and the Game Boy and the PC and the Amiga and the PlayStation. And when it got to the 32-bit versions, they went crazy and they had eight players simultaneous wow really they supported eight players simultaneous split screen something that would have been impossible on the uh on, on the hardware it was originally released on and even then i'm thinking on a crt resolution i don't see how I that would have worked i was gonna say i had what like a 10 inch tv i think maybe 10 12 inches Playing an eight-player game on that would have been like, that's proper eye straining. That's postage stamp simulator. It really is. And even then, like the TV I got after that was only 14 inches. So I don't even think like that would have been good for, for eight players. Freaking hell. Split screen on Mario Kart would be doable on a 14-inch TV. Four-player, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, if your four-player option was available, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Mario Kart 64 would have been doable on a 14-inch portable TV. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, just. On. Just about, yeah. It's not as comfortable as doing a two-player split screen, though. But man, eight players, no thank you. But they didn't just rest on their laurels as a Mario Kart clone. They added in extra modes, including a 16-bit precursor to Rocket League. There was a football mode. 
in Street Racer. I remember playing the football mode and I, yeah, as I said, man, I really liked this game and it might just be because I didn't have Mario Kart. So this was like my next best thing. But I, I really, I didn't own it myself. I'd borrowed it off a friend, but I really dug it. And you weren't alone. It did do pretty well with the critics across a lot of its platforms. Although the PlayStation and the Saturn versions were slightly criticised because they did look a bit dated. Yeah, I think when you've got things like Wipeout and Ridge Racer on the PlayStation, um, playing sort of a 2D racing game like Street Racer, probably it just doesn't hold up as much. No, but thankfully that 32-bit apathy is still in the future. For now, we get to see this being played in the peak era of 16-bits. 32-bit is still just on the horizon. We're not quite there yet. And boy, We've got some up-and-coming celebrities to play this game. I sure hope they're good at it. There used to be the two heartthrobs in Biker Grove. Now, of course, they are rap stroke, dance stroke, funk stroke, death metal crossover legends. Please welcome PJ and Duncan. Okay, PJ, uh, how, yes. how do we rumble then? Rumble? Yeah. You know it, Dominic. Don't no, I don't. Show me how to the left like that. Because we're, 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 we're all ready to do it now. And that's okay. it. That's it, really. You've really showed you in rehearsals. I mean, you paid us to show <laughs> you in rehearsals. It's much better than us, I guess, I tell you. Because <laughs> the, the single was a, was a massive hit. Was there, I'll ask you, Duncan, the other members of Biker Grove, did they hate you all because of the success of the single? Yeah, pretty much so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did they? Yeah. Is that because they're just generally like losers? <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, no comment. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that girl with the ginger hair, she really hates you. Oh, yeah, she hates Declan. <laughs> I tell you. They are the rap, dance, funk, death metal legends PJ and Duncan, or as we would know them now, Anton Deck. This is their larvae form before they become like the fully fledged Saturday Night Takeaway host they're going to become. This is just we're fresh off of Biker Grove. We've had a hit song. What's next for our career? This is a great little like snapshot of their life at this point. It's also really confusing because at this point they are still PJ and Duncan in the public's eyes. But as they talk to Dom and talk to each other, they're referring to each other as Declan, as Anthony and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it partly feels fourth wall breaking because I would only know them as PJ and Duncan. They were releasing songs at the time as PJ and Duncan. Oh, yeah, I got the exact same note when PJ says, oh, yeah, she hated Declan. I was like, stay in character, Ant. Come on, mate. But when we're talking about PJ and Duncan, we are, of course, talking about their Biker Grove characters. They met for the first time while working on Biker Grove back in 1989. They didn't quite get on to begin with, but then became best friends. That friendship really translated onto screen, gave them an amazing chemistry together, which was only reinforced by really solid, strong scripts, epic storytelling... And a paintball gum. Which we didn't get to talk about. We it happened in our timeline. And we just complete we biffed it in our coverage. And we'd miffed and it was you pointed it out. I think we were partway through series two where you went, Oh f we could have talked about the biker grove paintball incident and we didn't. Not Not Now Uh, 
right, man. You're all right. I'm here. Ah, I dug it. Yeah. It was on the knee. Let's get out of here. What kind of man is hurt? Ah! Ah! Daddy, help him. It's in his eyes. Look at his eyes. Shut up, man! Ah! Just look at his eyes. Joseph, Jeff. All right, Pepper. Jeff. Jeff. Relax. He can't see, can he? Call an ambulance, Duncan. He can't see, man. Boy. We missed in the space of about a month Biker Grove paintball incident and the original broadcast of Ghost Watch. Yeah. Thankfully, we now have a Patreon exclusive podcast where I'm sure both of those will be thrown into the mix at some point in the future, so we will get to discuss them. And it won't be in a, oh, also this happened segment. Yeah. I didn't watch Biker Grove. So they came into my like pop culture conscience with let's get ready to rumble. Like that was my introduction to PJ and Duncan. And I still think it's a pretty decent song. You know, it's a really good catchy pop number. It is. It's, it's got some lyrics. It's got some moves. It's got some dance moves that we will see shortly and it was their most famous song at this point in time as PJ and Duncan. Uh, it wasn't their first single. That was a song called Tonight I'm Free, which was a song they actually performed together on Biker Grove as part of the story and which then was released. And I think mm. they recorded like two albums as PJ and Duncan before they kind of escaped, I guess, um, a television production company's uh, copyright remit and just went, yeah. actually, no, we're not going to be your characters anymore. We're not your monkeys. Yeah. But it's kind of weird to look at them at this point in time because, of course, I'm looking through their Wikipedia pages, I'm looking at their website, and they started as child actors, they became pop stars. And even at this point, you can tell that they weren't going to settle. They were going to go somewhere else. I mean, they still do some acting or have done some act as part of their broader light entertainment remit. Or they did uh, Alien Autopsy, which I actually quite enjoyed as a film. I thought that was a bit of fun. Yeah, I forgot they did that. Yeah. Yeah, they did a movie based on the possibly true story of the alien autopsy footage that did the rounds in the 90s. And it's it's quite a fun little indie film. It's quite a fun little little piece to watch, a nice easy 90 minutes. And they're okay in it. They're good mm. fun. But we are actually at the point where they would be getting their first presenting job. They would be working for CITV presenting the Saturday morning children's show, Gimme Five, which only lasted two series. But it was enough. And in 95, they got... The Anton Deck Show over on CBBC, and they won BAFTAs off the back of that. And that's the point. That's when they're like, we've got our career set, and our career is working with each other to the point where they are counter insured against each other a million pounds if the other dies. Really? Because they're that concerned, I believe, with their careers drifting if, if one of them was to pass away. They wanted to make sure that the other was going to be suitably compensated. I don't know if that insurance policy still stands, but it's it's kind of understandable that they would do that in the 90s as their star was on the rise. And particularly as both of them have occasionally had a few um, issues to deal with that could have resulted in untimely death. Yeah, Ant's had a, a rough old go of it uh, in the last few years. But I mean, I say the last few years because he's really picked himself up. But like the last five, ten years or so, he's had a rough old go of it. And there was actually a period of time where like people thought that Deck career was going to be done because Ants had his drug problems but the two of them worked through it and now Ants back on the clean side of things and they're still doing Saturday Night Takeaway, they're still doing the Jungle Show, they are 
really, really good at what they do. So one of the things I've always really liked about Anton Deck is they are good at what they do. They are excellent light entertainment hosts and they've never changed anything about themselves. They've always been Anton Deck and it's just always worked. Hands up, they're not my cup of tea right now. I won't go all Saturday night takeaway and put it oh, on. No, I'm not no. their target audience and I don't think I have been for some time, but I'm glad they're out there doing what they do because yeah they're good at it they are good at their job and they deserve the success they've got and i also am very very glad that you know they've cleaned up both of them and they're doing better now i only ever see them through gogglebox which is because my wife loves it and that is you know just seeing them of clips of saturday night takeaway or the jungle thing or whatever and it's only like when i see them there i I often turn to my wife and be like bloody hell they are good though aren't they they're very very good they appeal to an audience and they absolutely nail it every time but meanwhile back in 1994 dom is cutting straight to the chase and asking pj how do you rumble and pj (laughs) just blows the fourth wall away and goes you know how we rumble (laughs) you paid us to show you in rehearsal and not only did you pay us you're better at it than we are i love that because uh, this is the first time we've really had uh people kind of like buy into dominic shtick because Dominic, you know, when we had the home and away and neighbors people on and he was like, oh, who's got the best hair or like, who was the most hated person on set? They never really got much of an answer. Ants here, bang, straight in there. We're like, you know how to do it. We were doing this in rehearsal. You're better at this than we are. Kind of takes Dominic off his game a little bit, but he's just like, they, they, he's enjoying it. He's enjoying the fact that they can have a bit of back and forth. Yeah, he's working with someone that's close to his age group, that's uh, kind of like close to his kind of slightly anarchic style. And yet they're, they're having... They're having a bit of fun. Because like he says to them, you know, do the rest of the Biker Grove cast resent you for your success? And Deck just goes, yeah, yeah, they do, actually. <laughs> I can't tell if he was being serious, but I reckon whether he was being serious in his answer, they absolutely did. And this is where we get that little bit of Anton Deck, PJ and Duncan confusion, because Dom's like, yeah, that girl with the ginger hair, she really hates you. And PJ says, no, she hates Declan. I, I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, I was like, come on, man, stay in character, Rance. You you call him Duncan and you know it as well. But Dom throws us to the commercial break with a line that made me snort. All right, while I continue to speak slowly for my little Geordie pals, <laughs> we'll take a quick break. There is only one chocolate feels like silk. The experience is silk. The chocolate is galaxy. Good evening, Grapple fans, and welcome to the main event between two stars. There's only one star here, my boy Sonic. He's in the groove with fresh food. Button the driver mouth and check out my man, Knuckle. He climbs, climbs, butts the wall. Okay, gentlemen, let's see some action. Take a look at that. Now take a look at this. Backwards compatibility. And now a word from our sponsor. Sugar! 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine video like you see in the movies. You want to reach out and touch. Numbers that fall into place instantly. So things go faster at work, learning's more fun, and games are far more realistic. It's amazing what you can do with an Intel Pentium processor. We're very lucky to have a special guest today, Tamla Motown stroke grunge crossover experts PJ and Duncan. They're about to play Street Racer. With me is Brad Burton, who will be helping me describe the action. Brad, you know every single word to Let's Get Ready to Rumble, don't you? Dominic, chill out, man. Chill out. Look, listen, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, everyone's got to be an AK lover. <laughs> he does as well. Alright, listen, listen Brad, can you give PJ and Duncan any tips on the game? I certainly can. Use your special weapons, use your nitros when you're supposed to. Don't be wasting them. That's a crucial part of the game. That's it. Go for it. Thanks very much, Brad. Well, I'll tell you what made me snort with laughter as we come out of this. Brad Burton reminding us why he is my favourite of the colour commentators and reviewers. Dominic clearly trying to like embarrass him says like oh you know i'm next to someone who knows all the words to ready to rumble because no loser really knows all the words to ready to rumble brad burton straight in there's like no actually i do and just starts doing it and dominic breaks proper starts laughing anton deck proper start laughing as well brad burton what an absolute hero well you know what luke if you're gonna rock the mic you gotta rock the mic right and bradders does it psych oh we are the pj and duncan of the Games Master Podcast World. I was very careful to keep the scope narrow there. <laughs> very, very small as possible. Podcasting World? No, too broad. Retro Game Podcasting World? No, definitely too broad. Games Master Podcast? Yeah, we've got that market cornered. <laughs> and then as I've written in my notes here, Brad gives them advice, sort of, play the game well, is basically his bit of advice for them. Oh, if only they'd followed that advice. Oh, okay. Off the bat, neither of these two lads can corner. They're very, very bad at cornering on this. And we essentially get a battle for last place. It is 
not good at all. They spend most of the first three laps in one of the last three places. The highest anyone gets for the first three laps is Duncan gets to sixth. Yeah. PJ is back in eighth or seventh and at one point goes the wrong way. Yeah, he remains dead last throughout this whole ordeal. They actually cut two laps out of this, uh, the, the, the footage that we actually get, because there's a five-lap race, but we only, get to th- we only get to see three of those laps. And I would imagine that's because, A, we've got, we're short on time, but also, B, I can't imagine it was good. No, me neither. And it is somewhat by a miracle or bad CPU AI intelligence type stuff And it is on the last lap that Duncan suddenly gets the hang of the controls and ends up in third place, while PJ, uh, seventh. I mean, it's 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 not good, man. Like it's it's not good. Neither of them are getting a golden joystick here. Now, uh, PJ, you do know that's probably the easiest challenge that we've had in the whole series. I'm just terrible at it. That's really. (laughs) If if you had a beatable or something like that, I'd be all right. But we didn't. Nah, no, you blatantly put a racing game on, didn't you, Dominic? You're not very good. No, Duncan, you were third. Yeah. Still rubbish. Thanks. <laughs> um, but better than PJ. Yeah, I'm only going to any good at racing games. Yeah. That's it. You're only, you're only good at racing games. Well, I'm only better at you, racing games. You're only average at racing games. <laughs> yeah, post-match, Dom says to PJ that that was the easiest challenge they'd had in the entire series. And PJ says, well, if you'd had a beat-em-up, I'd have been all right. And Dom points out that they didn't have a beat-em-up. <laughs> no, you were on a racing game. How? I mean, but you said it was as if Mario Kart was crossed with Street Fighter, so it's sort of a beat-em-up deck, or ants. Dom does point out that Duncan did considerably better, but was still rubbish, but better than PJ. Yeah, and he was just like, it's, you know, it's good to be the most average of the two here. And we get something that we haven't had in this series thus far, which is neither of them get golden joysticks, and they both get sent to the cages. Well, listen, thanks so much for uh, joining us, but it was a pretty poor performance, which means that you have to go into the cage. (laughs) Yeah, we've gone from the pit to the furnaces to now we have the cage, which essentially is we shove the celebrities in with the audience and what happens happens i imagine it to be like um that bit in day of the dead where the lad just gets ripped in half or it's meant to be like purgatory or like a like the lost souls or whatever the the souls of the damned mm. but what you actually get is the goblins shove pj and duncan into the cage the crowd do kind of do the dawn of the dead day of the dead mob and then you just hear one of PJ or Duncan go, Crikey, missus. It's and who just, <laughs> Crikey, missus, really made me laugh. And Dom reminds us that this is proof that celebrity status doesn't stop you looking a bit iffy when your pants are on the line. It was not a good challenge, but they were fun. And like Brad Burton singing the song, Dominic having a laugh with them, them having a laugh with Dominic. And and then being thrown into the cages and stuff, I I, I kind of liked it, but like the game playing was absolutely bollocks. Oh yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. It was not good at all. Welcome to my consultation room, where once again I should provide a lifeline to games player drowning in the sea of ignorance. Who's first to camp the ball? Games master, I've got Mega Man X, but it doesn't seem to have fireballs like Street Fighter Two does. Don't be so wet. Of course it does. Here's how to get it. After 
who should killing all the bosses and collecting every subject, ignore your better judgment and enter the armored armadillo. While your energy is still strong, ride the minecart until it comes off the rails. Jump up and collect the pods you'll find there. Then throw yourself off the ledge. Do this four times. And upon collecting the pod for the final time, the bloody Dr. White will take pity on you and give you a special fireball power-up. How's that? Well, thanks, Games Master. I do like this first hit that we get here in the consultation zone on Mega Man X on how to get the Street Fighter 2 fireballs, because this is like the sort of stuff you'd have only seen in the magazines. But I do like how the query is presented of this kid going, I've got Mega Man X. Why isn't it more like Street Fighter? To which the real answer is, well, go and buy Street Fighter, you little oik. But this is just a setup to go, hey, if you go and you die repeatedly, you can get a fireball power-up because apparently, despite having got so far in the game that you've beaten all of the bosses, you suck enough that the game takes pity on you and goes, here, have a Hadouken. I do love Games Master's response of don't be so wet, which was actually my second choice uh, for my introduction line. Mega Man X, it's not a game we're going to see much of in this series, but it is the first Mega Man game for a 16-bit console, came out for the Super Nintendo, and the first game in the Mega Man X series, which is a spin-off of the original Mega Man and takes place a century after the original Mega Man series. So it's a futuristic world. But Mega Man was already set in the future, so it's a future futuristic. Indeed, this is not the Mega Man that was in the Mega Man games. This is X. This is one of those things where there is a story in the game, but it's really aided by having the instruction booklet. Like, if you just play a ROM of it now, you're going to lose some of this stuff. I like the Mega Man games. We've talked about this going back as far as Series 1. I like the Mega Man games. I'm terrible at the Mega Man games. But if I'm going to be terrible at a Mega Man game... I will probably choose to be terrible at a Mega Man X game because they just look great. They are peak, runny, jumpy, shooty platformers on the snares. The graphic style is amazing. I remember drawing Mega Man loads as a teenager because he's a fun character to draw. And the monsters and the bosses and the robots and the dog sled and all that stuff, they're, they're good fun to draw. Yeah, it's really, really good. I, I, I love the X series. Uh, Mega Man X7 is a blinder of a game. And as much as I do like the original Mega Man run, I'm with you on this one. I much prefer the X series, particularly actually 16-bit-wise as well. Like, I bought the Mega Man collection. No, I didn't buy it. No, I got a review copy of it. I got a review copy of the Mega Man collection that, that came on the PS4 that was like the 16th, the SNES, you know, Mega Man 6 onwards. And I didn't like them as much. I didn't have as much fun playing those as I did playing the X collection. I think it was just a very refined product. I mean, it was the team that had worked on most of most all of the Mega Man games for the NES. And so they, they had the style down pat. They knew what sort of game they wanted to produce. So they could just focus on unlocking the additional potential that the SNES offered them. And that potential, I mentioned the graphics already, but oh, the score. Mm-hmm. The score for the Mega Man X games, including obviously this one, composed by Capcom's Alpha Lila group, it just rocks. It absolutely rocks. It's been released as a soundtrack, I think, on its own, but also as part of a Rockman X1 to X6 collection, which came out in the mid-2000s. 
I'm fairly certain it's also been released on vinyl at this point as well. Must have been at this point. It, it's a banger, even if you don't like the Mega Man games, or if, like me, you just suck at them. Still worth checking out the soundtrack. You mentioned the music of the Mega Man games, and have you ever heard of the band The Proto Men? Yes. Oh man, The Proto Men are a f***ing wicked band. If you haven't heard them before, they do rock operas based around the Mega Man franchise. So the first album, The Proto Men, is a bit hit and miss. I think it's not the best one, but Act 2, The Father of Death, which focuses on like the pre-Mega Man story, so it's about the war between Dr. Light and Dr. Wily, is really, really good. It sells, like It feels like a stage show. And it is, I've seen them do it live, and it's so, so impressive. I know of them and I know I've heard their stuff, but my brain is just going blank. So I will have to go and check that out. Yeah, I would. The Father, the Act Two, The Father of Death is a really, really good album. Oi, Games Master, I want a level select on Jungle Book for the Mega Drive. Will you give me what I need? Oh dear, you are a sad fellow, aren't you? Pause the game and enter this melodious code. A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A. And lo and behold, you'll be granted access to all the wonderful secrets of the game. Frankly, I find this cheat barely necessary. Get it? Cheers. Now, this next one is a very interesting one because you might be listening to this and think, huh, I think I've heard that cheat before. And you'd be right, because ABBA ABBA is the level select code on Aladdin. It's not the level select code for the Jungle Book. And there'll be more on that next week. Games Master, I really need your help. On Joe Manor's football in the 3DO, my quarterback keeps taking hits. Can you help me? You're having trouble with those funny shaped balls, are you? Here's what to do. When on the fence, call a pass play. A deep hand is best. After hiking the ball, run about 20 yards or so backwards and throw it to one of your deep receivers. They'll almost always catch it for a big yard touchdown. Easy one, you know how. Nice guys, Master. You're terrific. And our third chap uh, wants some help on John Madden 94. This is the 3DO version, I'm assuming. Yes, it is the 3DO version. And uh, I confess, I started writing notes on this, and it's like Games Master says to call a pass. Play- I, I I, don't understand hand egg ball, Luke. I'm just no. about keeping track of the Euros, which are going on while we're recording this. Basically, Games Master gives some very good advice that exploits a bit of a bug in the game but is also just a solid tactic and apparently that will work good job games master yeah nice and solid entry in the consultation zone that much i very i've very much enjoyed that one yep don't understand it at all but i'm glad someone probably did please can i ask you a quick question about uh, sonic the hedgehog 
What's, what's he on about? What's he doing? I'm the saddest idea. That was the only person in the world who doesn't know who Sonic is. Or maybe she's forgotten because she's old. With the release next week of Sonic v Knuckles, even pensioners will have no excuse. Sonic's first appearance was in 1991 when Sega finally unleashed a character to rival Mario. Struggling manfully against the evil schemes of Dr. Robotnik and pursuing a strange obsession with rings to the delight of innuendo writers everywhere, the adorable tyke was an instant hit with 4 million copies sold. Sonic's next outing was in the obscurely titled Sonic 2. This time the cuddly cutie was accompanied by Tails, a lovable little fox that used his tail as a helicopter blade. The release of Sonic 2 was accompanied by the biggest publicity blitz ever seen in the video game world. There was even Sonic Bards. We must have Sonic 3! We must have Sonic 3! Yes, undeterred by the enormous profits generated so far, Sega courageously went ahead and released Sonic 3. With split-screen play, battery save options and masses of levels, Sonic 3 was widely regarded as the best Sonic title to date. Sonic 3 also saw the debut of Knuckles, the naughty little echidna who messed up Sonic's life. Sega TV! 1993 also saw the release of Sonic Spinball, Sonic CD, Sonic the Arcade Game, and the most original release in terms of gameplay, Sonic 3-Minute Pasta. Which brings us 26 million cards and over a billion quid later to Sonic and Knuckles. Well, what's this one all about? Backward compatibility, which doesn't mean making friends with thick people. It means that when you plug in a Sonic 3 card, you can play that game as Knuckles. Or if you plug in Sonic 2, you can play that game as Knuckles as well. As well as breathing new life into the previous game, Sonic and Knuckles is a new Sonic adventure in its own right. You've got a new character who's got different moves to Sonic. You've got loads of new levels like this one, the Sand Dunes, and a new bonus level called Boing. And of course, Dr. Robotnik's back. Now after all that, everyone surely must know who Sonic is. Well, we asked Joan Collins for her opinion. Do you know who Sonic the Hedgehog is? I beg your pardon? Sonic the Hedgehog. I haven't a clue. This is a brilliant Series 4-esque feature, which is Dominic Diamond going around asking old dears in a shopping mall if they know Sonic the Hedgehog. Because this is a Sonic special, and I was thinking after they initially said, oh, we're on a Sonic special, and I'm like, oh, cool. First challenge, very nice. Sonic 3 on Sonic and Knuckles. Second challenge, Street Racer. I, I, it's kind of a fast game, so so maybe. I guess. Couldn't they... They could have done something there. Now we've got some extra Sonic content, and yeah, it is a brief history of time in the Sonic universe, which starts with baffling old women. This feels like an, a nice retrospective of Games Master as well, like do, like doing this podcast, like going back to episode two of series one when we had that Sonic the Hedgehog challenge, when that felt like the new big game of the time. And then we go into series two where we've got that feature about Sonic 2 being released and you know, people completing it within an hour of buying it and all that sort of stuff. We get to see Sonic Spinball, Sonic CD, and then Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles. I can't remember if I said this at the time when we were talking about Sonic 3. Looking back at, you know, my life in 94, 95, I never at any point thought this was supposed to be one game. It totally makes sense when you play it as one game because you go through and you can get all the Hyper Emeralds and things like that, so you can get Hypersonic and you get the full story. So that totally makes sense. But I never played Sonic and & Knuckles and thought, huh, well, this only feels like half a game. Or Sonic 3 and think, this only feels like half a game. 
it's really well put together in that sense. The only thing that could have tipped me off is that there are noticeable graphical upgrades between 1, 2, and 3, but there isn't between 3 and Knuckles. As far as a chop shop job goes, they did a good job of papering over the cracks and doing a few bits of spot welding, or I guess the opposite of actually separating it out. Yeah, the, the fact there's no major advancement. I mean, I suppose the gameplay advancement for Sonic and Knuckles is the piggyback. Yeah, yeah, the lock-on stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's that's its unique selling point. But just to see the game, yeah, there's, there's nothing really. It's even got the same bonus stages, which really should have been the big giveaway. That should have been the easy one to fix, because you could have even just recycled one of the earlier bonus stage ideas, just tweaked it a bit, and still gone, oh, well, it's got different stage, it's got a different bonus stage mechanic to Sonic 3. Uh, if I can do a quick pushing me uh, glasses up my nose uh, about this feature, though, just just ever so slightly, there's a moment where Dominic Diamond says the Robotnik is back, and actually the character on screen that he shows is Egg Robo, who is not Robotnik. If I can just push my glasses up ever so slightly. You do you. <laughs> yeah. I did enjoy this, though. I really, really liked this. Yeah, it's a fun little trip back. And obviously you'll have heard audio clips, but it is worth going and watching because they have some fun with the video. Like Sonic 1 is shown sepia and very kind of like shrunken frame, like an oldie, timey 1910 to 1920s silent film. Sonic 2 starts black and white, but then bursts into colour. And of course, Sonic 3 is all big bold brash graphics filling the screen i feel actually slightly zoomed in footage because sonic is taking up way more screen estate than the than yeah. i feel i feel he should also in audio form i don't think the gag works which is like they show like old footage of like um sort of protests and things like that with them dubbing over the voices of like we want sonic 2 I don't know if that works in audio form, so I would recommend going to watch the video version of this. But they also talk about a bit of the culture and the chaos surrounding Sonic and Sonic 2, including, you know, the advertising campaigns that really, really bolstered Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles. But they also give some honourable mentions. We get a mention for Sonic Spinball, Sonic CD, Sonic the Arcade Game, and the most unique game-playing experience of Sonic 3-Minute Pasta. It was nice to see Sega Sonic get featured on this. It's a really fun game. And a really difficult one to play because you need a big ball. Oh, yeah. And even rollerballs for the home market don't emulate this experience properly. And maintaining the hardware on it is an arsehole. I'm very fortunate that I got to play this in the arcades when it came out because I don't think you can replicate it like without it being in an arcade but luke after that retrospective everyone should know who sonic is now right even joan collins <laughs> i wonder if joan collins does actually know who sonic is i'm gonna go with no because she doesn't need to the only sad thing to mention about with Sonic and Knuckles, um, you know, which is it's the end. We do get a, a 3D Sonic game, but this is kind of like the end of the, the the trilogy in sort of inverted commas. And it feels like this is the last like hurrah of Sonic in the 16-bit era. And actually, it's probably the last hurrah of Sonic until we get to Sonic Adventure on the Dreamcast, because everything that comes after this, which is like Sonic 3D Blast, which no one particularly liked, Sonic R, which no one likes, Sonic the Fighters, which no one particularly likes, we never got a, a proper Saturn Sonic game. So this is this is sort of it. But it's also it for Yuji Naka and Sonic and being a part of STI. 
because STI was formed to be like the free thinking bit of Sega where it's like you can make whatever games you want like there's no corporate restrictions or anything like that and they were like oh this is brilliant and I think the delayed release of Sonic 3 and splitting into two games and the amount of money they spent on it kind of killed that momentum right at the start because they did do Comic Zone and they did do the ooze but then that was it and STI was just folded right back into Sega. Yuji Naka left that group and he went off to do Knights and it felt like the Sonic team was not there anymore. This really is the last hurrah for them. Yeah. But Luke, I do have in this issue the first independent review. Why is it, why is it an independent review? Is it because like Mean Machine Sega had a review before it? I imagine so. And of course, they would, you know, basically there would have been reviews and I imagine they might have been in official magazines and therefore had the official bias. But Games Master Magazine are advertising this as the first independent review of this game. And we've already mentioned once today, their review of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 wasn't the kindest. But do you think as this is the last hurrah of Sonic on the 16-bit and indeed the classic era. I think if I was going to make a prediction here, they're going to really like the graphics. They're going to really like the sound. They're really going to like the gameplay, but they are going to say it is nothing new. I will go over the brief summary in the review with you, but first I'm going to start with a joke. Okay, go ahead. Knock, knock. Who's there? Echidna. Echidna who? Echidna if I'm a key, so you'll have to let me in. Very good. No, it's not. <laughs> but the game, the game is, they do like the game. Graphics, they give nine, saying the tip of the Sonic's iceberg, lovely little animation touches. Sound, however, the same sound effects, including those ring noises, and the same type of upbeat music. That only gets a seven. They are the same sound effects as Sonic 3 because, you know, it was the same game. So that makes sense. Playability gets an 8 with its Sonic through and through. Knuckles just carries the ease of playability further. And last ability, there are two characters. It's harder and the carts cross compatible. It's going to last, that's for sure. And that gets a 9. Overall summary from Marcus saying quite clearly the most fun you can get from a couple of red and blue spiny things. But the game itself isn't so startlingly original really a satisfying gaming experience nonetheless and some very smooth gameplay luke what do you think the final score is i'm gonna say 93 percent not quite 90 though it broke the 90 barrier which i think ain't bad i don't think that's bad at all as well because like for my money it's my least favorite of the four and it's not the one that I instantly jump to. It's the one now in hindsight that feels like half a game. I will play it to I'll play it with three. I will play Sonic 3 and Knuckles, but to play Sonic and Knuckles on its own, yeah, it's not my favorite. The other two box out guys do like it. Uh, Simon Karain says he'd play it until the cows come home, and Tim Tucker says Sonic's still great, and this game's more challenging than any of the previous games. Woo hoo. I mean, it is more challenging because f***ing Sandopolis can get in the sodding bin. That level sucks. Anyway, should we move on to the challenge? Because let's see this game in action, baby. What better way to end this Sonic Spectacular than with a challenge on the game of the heart of the commotion, Sonic and Knuckles. 
The challenge is to make as many rings in 45 seconds as possible, playing either as Sonic or Knuckles. I'll leave it to our contestants to decide which prickly personality they prefer. So please welcome for this final challenge, Sam Riley, Scott Naylor and Phil Duffy. Okay, Sam, let's start with you. Who's your most fanciable bloke in the world? Dean Kane. Dean Kane from the, the TV Superman. Have you ever noticed that when he's dressed up as Clark Kent and when he's dressed up as Superman, he actually looks identical? You know I think? Yeah. Good thing. Um, Scott, we've seen you on Games Master before. You beat the, uh, the Scottish Nintendo champion. And you are an iced tea fan. Yeah, yep. yeah I like iced tea. Have you, uh, have you got a gang yourself? No. All right, and Phil, finally, who's your most fanciable female? Uh, Lauren from Neighbours. And we actually had Lauren on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, she said she quite fancied you as well, which is completely bizarre. Yeah, we've got Sam, Scott, and Phil Duffy, which is notable because I think... And I'm pretty sure I went back and I'm thinking I'm right on this with my notes. This is our first non-celebrity challenge to feature a girl playing a game since episode 14 of series three. Ah, back when Dave Perry was in his peak girls can't play games mode. Isis, I, I, she was the only girl that was in the team championships. I think this is our first challenge, non-celebrity based, to feature a, a girl challenger. That was a while ago, man. But it's good to see her here, and no spoilers, she doesn't do terribly bad, really. Hmm, yeah. You know, she completes the challenge, I'll give that away now, but Dom starts by asking Sam who her most fanciable bloke in the world is, and she goes with Dean Kane, which I guess at the time is kind of a... That that one makes sense, I think, because yeah. like he was in the, new, the Lois and Clark. Yeah, New Adventures of Superman. Yeah, yeah, totally, it makes sense. Less sense now. But Scott's is a name that you may recognise because he's been on the show before. Back in Series 2, Episode 18, as part of the Thomas Patterson Challenge, beating him on pilot wings. Okay, what's your name and from whence do you hail? Scott Naylor, and I come from Rugely. So, Scott, what's your challenge for Thomas tonight? Take him on at hang gliding on pilot wings, please. Scott, you brought an army of fans with you. Was that the difference? I think so, yes. Just luck. Oh, I don't know, 90 out of 100, that must have been quite good, though. You must have been quite pleased with that. Yeah, I've been practising. You obviously have now. Yeah, and he is also, as his top seems to indicate, a big Ice T fan. That is, the musician slash rapper slash actor, not the uh, beverage. That is what I would also presume as well. Um, they do talk about gangs and stuff, so yeah, I'm going to assume that they're talking about the rapper Ice T. Well, no, you could be talking about like a gang of the PG Tip Monkeys. Yeah, the Tetley's lot. The Tetley's lot, yeah. So, you know, they have a gang of yeah. sorts. I've written in my notes here, Phil Duffy, a scouser, so I want him to win. <laughs> and then I've just carried on the rest of my notes, talking about fancying Lauren from Neighbours, who was on the show just a couple of weeks ago. And even better than that, apparently Dom says that she quite fancies Phil. Oh, excellent news. Quid's in there, mate. And sharing my monitor is Games Master's very own Andy Hutchison. Andy, were you in a gang when you were little? Yeah, I was in the first third electoral scouts, and we used to terrorise the local neighbourhood by collecting news newspapers from their doorsteps. They were always the worst, those ones. Uh, any tips on, on Sonic v Knuckles? Well, run fast. Collect rings. Avoid bad things. 
very concise, Andy. Andy Hutchinson is in the booth to give you advice, which is run fast, collect rings, and avoid the bad things. Because we haven't actually said what the challenge is, or what the Games Master would have told you. The challenge is, is to collect as many rings as possible in a certain time. So this isn't like the speed challenge that we had at the start of the show. No, speed challenge at the start of the show, they only needed enough rings just to basically be able to take a hit if, you know, if they had to. Here, they need to collect the rings and they need to definitely not take a hit. That would be oh, bad yeah. and counterproductive to the entire point of the challenge. Sam is going first while the other two loiter and Dom is joining Games Master's own Andy Hutchinson and he was in a gang when he was younger. Yeah, he was in the Scouts. Yeah, they used to terrorise the neighbourhood by collecting used newspapers from people's doorsteps. What assholes! Yeah, I mean, I didn't do that task when I was part of the Scouts. I don't remember collecting the used newspapers. I do remember doing the shoe shine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did a shoe shine thing, but I don't. I definitely didn't collect newspapers as part of the Scouts. But granted, though, I wasn't in the Scouts for very long. I I really enjoyed being in the Cubs. Um, but I didn't like the Scouts quite so much. I was in the Cubs and I did enjoy that. And I was in the Scouts and I didn't enjoy that. If It was actually the other kids there who just felt slightly more sinister and cliquey and they were just a bit meaner and I kind of drifted away from it quite quickly. And Sam is up first and with 20 seconds to go, she's got 30 rings, which feels pretty bad. But then she like can't quite bounce off the total so she misses a bunch of them and then she jumps back off to get them again when really she'd have just been better off just carrying on rather than going back for them because there's a bunch of rings just to her right and she ends with 48 rings which isn't a terrible score no the actual spread of the highest to lowest score is less than 10 so so 48 is respectable and scott goes next and he starts a lot more quickly. He really tears off, although takes pretty much the same route as Sab. There isn't really much you can do different, particularly in the early stages of this level. He gets the same shield. He stumbles briefly at the same set of mushrooms that Sam did. It's identical, their run, really. Like, there's only one ring difference in them, and it's the ring that Sam missed right at the start of her run. Like, by, like, sort of, like, the, the 22nd mark. He does tackle the mushrooms slightly better, and with a few seconds left, He gets 53 rings, and that means Sam is out of the running. Still a good score, but out of the running, and Scott is now in the lead. And as the existing champion, you know, he's got prior. Indeed, yeah. And like we were talking about the Dominic Diamond, I can't be bothered to commentate over the same footage three times. During this final run, during Phil's run, he literally says, Nothing new here, Andy. Well, there's nothing new here. He was wrong. Yeah. Because Phil has everything to win and everything to lose. He follows the same route as the others. And yeah, Dom comments there's nothing new until he takes a toadstool to the face. And that means that unless he does something bloody special, Sam will not be in last place. I'd written him off at this point. I'd totally written him off. 15 seconds left and 31 rings on the count. And bugger me if he doesn't go and do something special. Because by fortunate timing and mastering those mushrooms, He not only surpasses Sam, but as the clock hits zero, he breezes past Scott and ends with 56 rings. It's so incredible. Like with one second left on the clock, he gets that little cluster to take him over. Super close, man. Okay, and I will start with you, Sam. I thought that was quite a good score. Where did you go wrong, do you think? 
I think it was on the mushrooms. Oh, you went along, because I reckon that's what slowed you down as well, Scott, yeah? And pesky mushrooms got me as well. I know, we've, we've all had problems with mushrooms apart from you. Phil, no problem at all with the mushrooms. A few of them did get me. Well, I've got good and bad news for you, actually, Phil. The good news is, of course, that you won the challenge. The bad news is, you know, I said that Lauren actually fancied you. I actually got it wrong. It was actually me that she fancied. Um, so I'm really sorry about that, uh, Phil. And post-match, Dom congratulates and commiserates accordingly. And upon being asked, Sam blames the mushrooms. Scott also blames the mushrooms. And Dom concurs that we've all had problems with mushrooms. Yep. Yeah, we... <laughs> But there's some good and bad news for our for our winner, though. Yeah, the good news is he wins. That's good. The bad news is oh, it wasn't him that Lauren fancied. It was Dom. Oh, man. And it's an easy mistake to make her. I guess he'll have to play with his new joystick by himself. Well, that's it for another show. I'm off to make you burp just when you get to snog that girl from accounts. See you later. Bye-bye. And Dom signs it off by telling us... <laughs> this really made me laugh. He's going to make you burp just as you're about to snog that bird from accounts. Now, when I say it's not that funny, but with Dom's accent and delivery, man, that's a real good end line. I do like that he is kind of like one of the lesser demons of hell. He's not necessarily old Nick. You know, he's not necessarily Satan himself, but he is kind of one of the the the, the prankster demons, kind of a low impact, low key type role of, yeah, I'm going to put dried bogies on the side of your nose. I'm going to put two unlimited tapes on the top of your stack. I'm going to make you burp at an awkward moment. It's some fun stuff. It's a nice way to sign things off. They they all make me laugh. So that was episode four of series four, a, a Sonic special that didn't, didn't massively feel like a Sonic special, despite the fact that it opened and closed the show and we got the feature and there was a Sonic Triple Trouble review. But it didn't feel like, you know, like the Mortal Kombat special we got in series three. Like that was a Mortal Kombat special. But with that said, I did actually get a bit of a kick out of this episode. Not through the game playing, although I thought the last challenge was very good. Because the games playing in challenge one weren't great. Neither, And the same can be said for the Street Racer challenge with Anton Deck. Sorry, PJ and Duncan. But I did enjoy the episode. Same. It was fun. The commentary was fun. The actual comments, like the riffing over the top of the package videos, the jabs at Mark Hamill's career and stuff like that. And, and the whole Sonic feature... It was a lot of fun. It didn't feel special. No. And that's a shame. I do think that Street Racer was there because some money changed hands. Like, yeah. not, not covertly, but just, you know, paid sponsorship. It's fine. Games Master's been doing it for a while. It's how you pay the bills. That's good. Uh, I wish Street Racer had ended up looking better because it is a fun game, but you would not necessarily tell it by the way PJ and Duncan play it. But I didn't enjoy it as much as last week's episode. Yeah, and that was an episode that I wasn't massively into, despite the Jimmy White challenge. I don't think I'm going to separate it that far from last week's episode. I think I'm actually just going to drop it 1%. I'm going to go 85. Yeah, I was in the low 80s. I was 82 for this one. Like, I get the celebrity challenge thing because they would have been filmed in bulk. And, you know, we don't know when this celebrity challenge would have been filmed compared to the rest of the show. So I get, like, why it's not sonic themed but if you're doing a sonic special i think you could have figured it out to be a sonic style game so there's something missing from the episode and certainly one of the things missing is games playing in those first two challenges um is made up for by charisma of the people involved i would say not not a bad episode but just somehow less exciting than a snooker challenge <laughs>
But that is going to do it for this edition of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want a bit of real-time interaction with us, with other listeners, with other people that are interested in Games Master, under consultation and gaming and life in general, you can join our Discord where we've got a lovely, vibrant group of people. The Euros are ongoing at the moment. They will be done by the time you hear this, but I'm sure other topical subjects will be being discussed. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, our Patreon exclusive podcast, where we take this format and apply it to other TV shows from the 90s. We recently did the X-Files episode, Ice, which is not, uh, it's not the thing. It's it's not, no, 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 it's not the thing at all. It's its own thing. Um, Nodules. <laughs> Nodules. We've also done um, Funhouse. We've done Nightmare, The Real Ghostbusters, Earthworm Jim. Gladiators. Gladiators. Yes, we did that as our Christmas special and had a blast doing that. So go and check that out. And you'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community podcast, where we recently just did a commentary track for the first episode of the X-Files pilot, which was really really fun because i'm i don't have a wealth of knowledge of the x-files but you do and you provided with some excellent excellent facts for us oh thanks man i i'll be honest i was really nervous about doing the commentary because i've never done a commentary before or tried to do a commentary before but i had a lot of fun and i think i i hope we might try and do some more in the future for different things oh yeah i would say so yeah i really enjoyed that um and if you back us at the five pound level you get next week's episode one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level you get something a little bit extra bit like that fun pack that dominic was talking about at the start of the stream ash what do they get they get a under consultation patreon exclusive mug filled with patreon exclusive badges stickers Retro Sweeties, Retro Mighty Morphing Power Ranger trading cards, and £5 off our first under-consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, badges and stickers from our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthol, William, Tubard, Simon, Sean Hannon, Sean Dudd, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside, Colin, Cliff, Alexis, Adam Warrington, Adam James Rigby, and Adam D. I love each and every single person who has listened to this episode, and we will see you again in seven days' time for episode five of series four. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.